Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman, and I can remember being stopped in my tracks by a line that came out of the mouth of a comedian as he spoke on stage. A comedian named Irish Dave. Irish Dave said, The end of laughter is the height of listening. The end of laughter is the height of listening. He said it because the person laughing can't wait to hear or see something else that's funny so that the laughter can get started all over again. I'm beginning to think if I could take on a power, it would be the ability to make people laugh and smile. I gave this some thought after I recently served as Master of Ceremonies at a session of Chicago Ideas Week. I was able to introduce the evening in a way that was personal and endearing to the audience. In fact, here's that introduction. Thank you. You know, I was coming in from the airport and I started wondering, how did this happen? I was born in New York. I live in LA. I traveled around the world for 10 years without a home. And I always wanted to one day call Chicago my home. But I never could. I mean, it's crazy. I've been to every major league ballpark except Wrigley Field. But a beautiful thing happened today. A glorious thing. The city embraced me with open arms. And tonight, when I saw you all turning to each other and asking those big questions, I felt at home in Chicago. And that worked well. But I realized I didn't have the chops to simply walk out on stage and spontaneously make people laugh. What a superpower that would be. Then I wondered what would happen if I had such a gift. And I'd been using it for years, captivating people with it, attracting people with it. And then, all of a sudden, society changed, and what I was saying was no longer funny. Maybe it was suddenly politically incorrect or it made an upcoming generation uncomfortable. What a terrible twist of fate to have the gift boomerang back on you. My episode this week gets to that topic. It's a recording of a conversation I had on stage at Chicago Ideas Week with the actress Ellie Kemper, who's brought smiles to our faces as a lead in the Netflix comedy series, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, as the receptionist in the television show, The Office, as well as in movies like Bridesmaids. Ellie's also written a book of comical essays called My Squirrel Days. For the next 20 minutes or so, you'll hear us talk about humor and the new borderlines. As referenced at the end of our conversation, Ellie and I plan to get together for a longer talk. I wanted to put this recording out as a way of remembering this time in my life. Even though the laughter of the crowd is not captured in the audio, as fully as it resounded that night throughout the Harris Theater. Ellie doesn't even have to say a word to make you laugh. She can do it with a facial expression. Going forward, 
I'm going to see if I can find a way to take a little of that on. For years as a writer, I did my work alone in a room. Doing what I do in front of a packed house made me realize I might be capable of so much more. Getting a little funnier is now one of my New Year's resolutions. The journey is just beginning, so let's get straight to Ellie Kemper. Should I go up there? Okay. Yeah. Uh-oh. You guys, with my wild dance moves, I think I just, I think it's okay. They told me to have fun with the music. And you sure did. I think I did. <laughs> I think mission accomplished. <laughs> and you guest hosted on Ellen DeGeneres' show. Yes, I did. A few years ago. And you which, showed your dance moves then. I did. I, I, feel, I take any occasion to show my dance moves. <laughs> I feel like that's a good thing. I just do want to fix this to make sure that I, everyone can hear me, right? I think it's okay. Okay, we're good. Beautiful. Well, we got a big question for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> He's like, will you marry me? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Her husband's in the back He's room. The back. Yeah, I'm married. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the big question is, oh, Thanks. oh there we go. How can we fix her? I really did. I think I, I did not get off with my dance, right? Oh, he fixed it. He's done this before. Okay. <laughs> so the big question is, and you don't have to answer right away. Okay. When is it okay to laugh? Because it seems like the world has been changing so quickly, and what was funny. When I was a kid, we may not even be allowed to say on stage. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're not going <laughs> to. not getting in trouble. <laughs> we're going to have a good time tonight. I think so. <laughs> Can you recall a time when you were a kid that you knew you were funny? Um that I knew I was funny. I feel like everyone thinks that they are funny, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that your sense of humor is your sense of humor, and you laugh at what you think is funny, and you laugh at the other people who you think are funny, so therefore that is your sense of humor. I feel like I thought I was funny. I mean, this sounds obvious, but when my parents laughed at me, I thought, oh, I'm pretty, I mean, laughed with me, at me. Like, <laughs> they weren't just pointing and laughing, but... I think that made me feel like, oh, I'm pretty funny. But mostly I remember laughing with my sister, Carrie, who's four years younger than I am. And, you know, it's just that kind of bond with someone where you find the same things just in, in, unspeakably funny and you, there's, no, you can't, there's no rhyme or reason. But probably just early on then feeling like, oh, this is a deep feeling of laughter. And therefore I think I'm funny. <laughs> so there was no aha moment where you thought, hey, I can do this for a living. You know what? Now that we're talking about it, I was the understudy for a role, uh, the character of Kathy in a play called um, uh, uh, Happy Valley High, 
which is like a poor man's grease. But it was our sixth grade play. <laughs> and I was the understudy, Kathy, which was like a poor man's Rizzo. And there was one performance that all the understudies got to perform. And it was in the afternoon. It was not well attended because like parents were at work and students were in school. Actually, who went to the show? Some, some people went. <laughs> and I felt like I did a great job. And then, and actually, my late, now I'm just bragging, but my language arts teacher named Mr. Warren said, you should have been the principal. And he meant like, not the principal of the school, but the principal performer. And I felt so happy that he said that because that's how I felt all along. Yeah, I should have been the principal. And he <laughs> validated that. And that's when I felt like, okay, I, there, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good at this. I can keep going forward. But I do remember that specifically. And so you got everybody laughing. Mm -hmm. Your family seems very happy with you. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a, a first time where you went over the line and said something that you thought was funny that some of the other people didn't. Yeah. And here's the thing. So I value my parents' judgment a lot. And it, what their opinion is means a lot to me. Um, and so I want to respect that. And I also happen to think they have good judgment. But of course, I'm a child. I mean, I was a child. I'm still their child. I'm human, I'm not perfect. And so the, the things that I feel like are going over the line are probably so benign, but they still feel like enormous in my own head. And I wrote a piece for McSweeney's called, listen kid, the biggest thing, wait, listen kid, the biggest thing you've got going for you is your rack. And that is a, like an agent rejecting, maybe it's a director, I wrote it, I can't remember, because I blacked it out. I'm like, no, it was too offensive. But it's about an agent telling a prospective um, client, like, you've, you know, you've got a great rack, but you have no talent. And I, it's like a monologue. And I thought it was really funny because it's poking fun at someone who would think that way. But then I remember my parents read it and they said, you know, Ellie, not everyone in your life is a comedian. And I thought that was correct. And also, I think they just thought it was in poor taste because why are you going on and on about racks? Everyone knows what a rack is, right? It occurs to me like, this is now 10 years ago. Maybe nobody knows what a rack is anymore. But it was and, uh, now, And you certainly, I don't know. So to, getting back to the big question, when is it okay to laugh? I don't, I honestly don't know. I feel like, well, now is, does that take on even a, a different kind of importance now? I'm not sure. But in any case, I did feel like I had disappointed, um, I don't know, someone in, in writing that. When I thought it was just supposed to be funny, but I guess it, it, was, it was like too vulgar in a way, I think. Did it change you in any way, or did you just merrily go along making people laugh after that? It didn't really change. I do think it's good to be aware of when you feel like you've overstepped your bounds, but more in the sense that you are recognizing that there are boundaries, that there can be limitations, and sometimes it's okay to um, go over them, but you have to accept the consequences. So I don't think it really changed, but I think it's good to observe when that's happening. You know, when I was a kid, I'm kind of showing my age, there was this comedian named Foster Brooks, and he would go on shows, and his comedy was the comedy of a drunk. And he would be hiccuping, and it was, it was, it was hysterical. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't do that now. I know. It's, and we talked, when we're talking about when is it okay to laugh, I've been thinking about this, of course, all of the time lately, and especially when talking about this book that I wrote. I feel like you, I've never been, I've never felt like I need to be more careful about what I'm saying 
And this is so recent. It's just in the past really two years, I think, that I felt like, okay, well, you really need to, I mean, you should always pay close attention to what you're saying. But I would go back, I mean, even things people wrote five years ago, you just can't talk that way now. And I don't know, I don't know what to make of that rather than just notice that that's happening. Something interesting, though, about writing a book, it's written in stone. It's going to be around forever. Right. If you, you're on stage and you, you utter a line that doesn't go over, a day later, it's gone. Right. Your book, it's, forever. Yeah, your trail. Your yeah. grand, great-grandkids are going to read Exactly. That's exactly right. And you don't know who. And I was conscious of that, too. I have a two-year-old, and I thought, well, I, I, I want him to be, like, not embarrassed by what I wrote. <laughs> and he can't read yet. I mean, he's brilliant, but he can't read yet. <laughs> and I think there is, and who knows, I mean, it's, it is so, um, I guess it's to be expected that things change, but like watching old Johnny Carson's, you think about some of the characters he played and some of the lines that you, you threw away on that show where you think, oh my gosh, you would be just, it would be front page news if someone said something like that now. Yeah, I don't know. How many people in the audience remember Don Rickles? And, and he, he would say the most outrageously racist things, and it just got funnier and funnier. Right. But I don't think we can do that anymore. I don't think so. And I, 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 I think, again, I'm trying to be so careful even right now, because I know that it... You're well, being careful now? I'm, I'm being very careful now. I don't care if it's Ideas Festival. I'm, I'm still very... I must be careful. Because once you say something, then it's out there. But I think that... Yeah, so it was funny then. Okay, well, is something funny only based on the time when you say it? I don't know. That's the big question. Yeah, that is a big question. I, it might be. It might be according to the circumstances you're in. I don't know, but then you have to, then how is humor not universal? I, I don't, I'm not really sure about that. And like I said before, I think if something's funny to you, then it's funny to you. You can't really explain why it's funny, it just is. But I think it's great that there is a bigger sensitivity to what is acceptable and what isn't, because I think in the times we're talking about, there wasn't a, uh, any attention paid to that, and that's hurtful. Your husband writes for Saturday Night Live. Yep. He, he's here, but I won't call him out. He's sitting among you. Judge <laughs> 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 him. <laughs> How does that affect his life? Because every week he's got to be thinking about what's funny this week. I know. I have, I, I swear I do talk to him, but we <laughs> don't really talk about work really that much. And I always feel like, especially again, it's the past two years where just the craziest things are happening that you could never make up. I feel like a lot, and this is just from me watching the show, it seems like a lot of it is just taken directly from what happened that week because how can you sensationalize that anymore? <laughs> and also, my, what I always wonder about is when you have a beloved actor playing someone who is not a great guy or woman, how, like, does that somehow endear the audience to that figure in real life? I think you have to be so careful about that, um, what effect that has on the actual person who they're portraying. Because if you make them somehow more lovable, that could be dangerous. Have you ever done that, or do you want to do it? No, I've never, no. I, you mean like do a celebrity? or Yeah. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Would you, the, would you like to? I think it could be fun, but I think it would be such a, um, 
Again, I think it'd be such a like delicate dance is the only phrase I can think of. And I'm sorry to say it's a delicate dance, but I think it would be a delicate <laughs> dance. I think it would be an interesting road to negotiate because you would have to figure out what you're doing, um, what effect your portrayal of that person would have on the public. I actually, in Kimmy Schmidt last year, I had a wig for one episode that looked like Cynthia Nixon. And I was like, that's what, I should play Cynthia Nixon. And then <laughs> I guess I won't play her. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a very you know there, there's something about you like sometimes you don't even have to say anything and, and people are laughing <laughs> how do you do that i oh i don't know i don't i don't know why they're laughing no i don't know <laughs> laughing at the clown no um I, i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> but you know what that does happen sometimes it doesn't happen with my husband because he sees me get in bad moods just occasionally, but I think that sometimes when you want, when you actually are, I've seen this happen to people all the time when uh, a person who's known, I'm not saying I'm known for being funny, but I'll watch someone who's known for being funny and then they say something serious and the audience laughs and the poor person up there is like, no, 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 that wasn't a joke. Like, Please listen to me. Um, I don't know why. I think people are maybe, I don't know, primed to laugh. Yeah. Is, is there a difference being funny when you're on a television show where there's not a big audience around, as opposed to being funny in front of an audience? I think it's a huge difference. And when we're filming a TV show and it's the crew and the writers and the creators on set, I feel like they are so businesslike about things and they've written the uh, script, rewritten the script a thousand times and they want to get the joke right. There's basically not a lot of laughter necessarily and it can be humiliating because you're trying to be funny and no one's laughing. And it's not that they don't think it's funny, at least that's what I tell myself, but it's because, <laughs> I'm like in the bathroom afterwards, it's like, it's not because I don't think you're funny, but um, they're trying to get the, you know, mechanics right and the lighting right and whatever else is happening. And so I, that can be demoralizing, I think. And then in an audience, it's just an instant reaction. So it's like, either you know that it's working or it's not. I prefer the latter, I think, because at least you can take the temperature. <laughs> How is that different from, say, in a movie? Same thing? I think it's the same thing. I think it depends on the set, too, because I think on a um, set where there's a lot of improv, I think that, that people sort of on the set will laugh more because it's just a looser feel. Do you like comedy clubs? I don't go to a lot of comedy clubs. Like, um, I'm trying to think, because comedy clubs are mostly stand-up, right? Yeah. I feel like I haven't been to... I don't know if I've ever been to a comedy club. What? Not a proper stand-up comedy club. I literally was just thinking of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Maisel, right? I always say Maisel, but it's Maisel. And I was thinking, oh, I've been there, but I just watched it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's also set in the past. <laughs> That's the one comedy club I go to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I haven't. I go to improv theaters, so, but I wouldn't call those comedy clubs. But, um, and I like that, that... That's almost, it feels like a dorkier vibe than a stand-up club. Well, the reason I asked, I was at a comedy club in New York about a week ago, and what happened is one of the first comics went up, and he started telling political jokes, and there was somebody in the crowd who didn't like it and started to heckle him. And the comedian got through the act, but... The other comedians down the line saw that 
And they knew if I go up and tell the same kind of joke about the same kind of person, I'm going to be getting that too. And you could see that they pulled back. They admitted to me. They pulled back. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Well, see, I, of course, understand from the story that why that person would do that. Because um, if he is trying, was it a he? If he is, or she is is trying to put on a show that's going to be satisfying to the audience, okay, well, then maybe you would pull back on some of the material that was just deemed, you know, upsetting for or objectionable for whatever reason. I understand that. And also probably, I mean, if you're wanting the audience's approval, that's another thing. Okay, well, maybe I don't want to, I don't, I don't want them to be on their bad side. However, if, and I'm not a stand-up, so I don't know, but if you actually felt strongly about the jokes you wanted to tell or the points you wanted to make, I guess you would just plow through with that no matter what, because I'm sure that these guys and ladies are used to people heckling all the time. So I guess I'm surprised by that reaction, maybe, now, now that we're talking through, to, to pull back on it, because that was what you were going to say. And so I don't know if you are supposed to modify your performance based on the audience. I mean, I know that you're supposed to read the room, but if you're making a... Especially if it, so it's political. Yes. So it seems, I don't know, maybe he just didn't want to deal with that. But it seems like if he had a point to make, maybe he should have stuck to it. But Have you ever been heckled? No. No. And in improv, I have found that it's generally a more supportive crowd. Right. And so um, I don't know if that's because of the nature of improv. Is It's an ensemble. It's a team effort. And the whole, I'm in Chicago, where of course everyone knows this, the central tenet of improv is yes and. So if you are going to be uh, negating and putting in, you know, objecting to people's choices, then I feel like you wouldn't have come to an improv theater in the first place because it's all about building the whole and serving the piece. Um, So for that reason, I think I'm lucky because I generally perform in front of audiences that are maybe supportive or like, you know, wanting to cheer on the improv team. And I haven't done stand-up. Probably the closest to heckling is just like the absence of laughter where I... (laughs) (laughs) Which... Is, what is that uh, like? I think, it's, I think it's demoralizing. I think you can't help but to take that. It depends on the type of person you are. If you're dramatic like I am, that you want to go throw yourself out the window because you're, trying, you're working really hard and nobody's <laughs> laughing and you're, it's easy to you know, fall into a pit of despair. But um, <laughs> I guess, I don't know what. I think that can be, it's not as mean, it's just like sad. <laughs> Have you ever fallen into a pit of despair? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I have. And there was all the time. Yes. And um, I think that I'm like very good at, I'm talking about this, like I'm the only person to have done this. I love just crying and feeling like there's no point. (laughs) And just like feeling sorry for myself. Luckily, I don't know if I'm wired in this way, but it will then pass just as quickly as it comes on. So... If I'm feeling bad about something, it usually passes within like a day or two. But I'm thinking specifically of a one-person show I did once where really nobody laughed. And um, that's, that is when I thought, oh, well, I'll stop trying to do comedy because I felt so discouraged. And then my husband, Michael, who's sitting in the audience among you, <laughs> he cheered me up. He, we were just dating at the time. We weren't married. But he was laying the groundwork as a good support system. And he um, encouraged—he was very— patient and 
and understanding and listen to, you know, why I might be upset because he was at that show. Now, I don't know why he wasn't laughing at the show. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to be the first person to laugh again. But anyway, but anyway, I'm going on and on about this. But basically, he 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 thought he encouraged me to stick with it. And we watched Tracy Ullman and I felt better. Is that Michael clapping for himself? (laughs) He's a good guy. I guess we can sum this all up. You have answered the question. When you're Ellie Kemper, it's always okay to make somebody laugh. Oh, that's nice. It's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you didn't mean it to be nice. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Cal, so much. I could talk to you for two more hours. Let's do it. Okay, stay where you are. No. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for pushing me into all these new situations when he nudged me to start this podcast. And Mel Safford and the crew at Chicago Ideas Week for being so welcoming and for bringing this to you. Also, to Luz Fleming for his engineering work. Over the last year, I've lost more than 25 pounds while running in Spartan obstacle races. It's not like I'm some elite competitor, but I feel so much better for it. And perhaps I can do the same with humor going forward. There's always a way to grow. And I encourage you all to find the areas that call out to you and run with them. You'll definitely find yourself smiling more. Until next week, cheers.